from the third letter of John, beginning in verse 1, where we find these words. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are truth. You are our truth. You are real, and we pray that you would be especially real to us today. Lord, we come to you with sin-sick souls, struggling with all this world heaps upon us, and, but we know that you are the healer, that you desire us to have healthy souls and well souls as we seek to walk in the light, to follow you. Shine your light upon our souls today. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. So I want to tell you a story about a man that we'll call John. Okay, that's not the name that he goes by. I'll tell you that real name here later on in what I have to share with you. But for now, we'll just call him John. John was a student at Washtenaw Baptist University. He came to Arkadelphia, Arkansas, following a dream to play tennis in college in the United States. And he had an opportunity to come here to play for Washita, and he lasted one semester before things kind of got out of hand. He showed up on his first semester in the spring of 1998, having uh, in his head this vision of what college life looked like in the United States, mainly coming from the media, like the movies. And soon after arriving, he heard about this party. So there would be a party. Well, he knew what a party on the campus of a, a, a university in the United States would be like. And so he geared up. <laughs> he walked out of his dorm room with two bottles of, let's call them unapproved beverages, and a cigar in his mouth and left his room. He had to walk through a, a, see a group of RAs, resident assistants, who had just happened to gather in his dorm for prayer. And he describes it as kind of like the parting of the sea as he walked through this group of astonished people. He found the location of the party and noticed immediately that something was off. The girls were all on one side and the boys were all on the other. The guys were on the other. Well, no worries. He took it upon himself to remedy that situation by going to every attractive girl in the room and saying inappropriate things to them. <laughs> Especially there was this one girl her name was Candace. He picked her up, whirled her around, and said things he shouldn't have to her and set her down. And then soon realized that this was not the kind of party that he had in mind. Later, he would learn that this was a party sponsored by Campus Ministries, which is a Christian organization on our campus that doesn't do the kind of parties that you'll see in the movies. That was just the first of John's encounters, cross-cultural encounters at Washita Baptist University. John became the target of the evangelist on campus. And so these young college guys would walk around behind him praying that he would get saved. This left John just a little bit underwhelmed at their lack of friendliness. He felt like he had become just something that, he could, that they could check off on their list. 
Well, uh, and, and he uh, shared um, shares that he um, had to refrain himself from turning around and delivering a decidedly unchristian response uh, on their bodily person. But he didn't do that. Eventually, though, it became clear that Washita was not the place for him. He had an opportunity to go to Germany, and so he left Washita at the end of his first semester. And everyone in the on campus seemed to agree from the administration all the way down, except this one student whose name was Andrew. Now we know the name Andrew. How many people in the world are named Andrew after the brother of Simon Peter? You know that Andrew who saw Jesus, went to get his brother and introduced Simon Peter to Jesus. Okay, that Andrew seemed to be the only person on campus that wanted John to stay around. But John left. That was in the spring of 1998. But by January of 1999, through a series of circumstances, John was back on campus as a student pursuing a degree at Washita Baptist University. But again, things, to go, the things began to go pretty badly pretty quickly. You see, John had passed. This whole dream of being a tennis player had created some issues in his life. He was bullied by his peers. His parents divorced when he was young. At age 16, he left home and became his own man. And he faced life, all the challenges that life had to bring him as a, as a strong, independent man facing life as it came. That didn't work. There came a point where that wasn't working for him at Washtenaw Baptist University. Some things happened, and he went down to the gazebo. If you're a student or if you know the campus at Washtenaw Baptist University, there's this gazebo down by the Washtenaw River. It's a quiet place where you can be by yourself. John went down there ready to end his life, thinking he would leave this world on his own terms. Well... Let's pause that story for just a second. Don't worry, I'll come back to it. It doesn't end there. But before I pick up the rest of the story, I want to direct our attention to a different John. John, the apostle, that John, the John that walked with Jesus as a young man on this earth, the John that identified himself in the gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple who leaned against Jesus during the last supper, who went on to write first, second, and third John and the book of Revelation. And the third John that we read to you from is actually the shortest book in the New Testament according to the number of words in it. And it's this book that I want to direct our attention today because in 3 John, there's no chapters. It's so short, you don't need any chapters here. But there are several main characters that we need to identify to take a look at this book. The first is a man named Gaius. Gaius was a common name in that world. Paul, the Apostle Paul, knew a Gaius. Gaius was one of his traveling companions. We don't know if this is the same Gaius. Probably not because this book more than likely was written later, a little bit after Paul's time. But Gaius evidently is a leader in the church. He's someone that's a disciple of John. And Gaius is in a church somewhere. We don't know exactly where. John the Apostle is more likely in Smyrna. History seems to indicate that's where John the Apostle ended his life. And John the Apostle is is a big deal. 
We might even call him a, a rock star. He is directing spiritual traffic, so to speak, from his position as an apostle. He's sending out people called the brothers. And these brothers would be trained by John and they would take what John said and go out into these different churches and locations and share that with the believers. And so Gaius was a pastor, it seems, in one of these churches that would receive regular visits from the brothers. And we see those brothers identified in two different places here in this passage. But in verse 9, we have kind of the, the evil foil here, a man by the name of Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. He's in some sort of leadership position, but he's in a conflict. He's having a power struggle with Gaius and the brothers and ultimately the apostle John. Then there's a third main character. His name is Demetrius. Demetrius appears to be the letter carrier. That's how the mail worked back then. The Roman roads created an infrastructure so that if someone like John or the apostles wanted to write a letter, they could write it and they could give it to a trusted friend and that trusted friend would have free passage all over the Roman Empire to deliver it wherever that letter needed to be delivered. And so Demetrius is the letter carrier. And finally, there are another group of people that we want to identify in the very last verse, in verse 15. These are the friends. There are actually two groups of friends. There are the friends who are around John the Apostle, and then there are friends in wherever Gaius is. And there are greetings exchanged through John and Gaius between one set of friends to the other. And so that's, that sets the stage for us for what I want to identify is this, this message about soul wellness, the answering the question that all of us should be asking ourselves, is it well with our souls? Is it well with your soul? And back in verse 1, where John greets Gaius, he calls Gaius the beloved whom I love in truth. At which point we need to stop and remind ourselves what the Bible means when it says love. In the English, we have basically one word for love, and we use it for almost anything. We love our spouses, we love our kids, but we love hot dogs and peanut butter too. So that word love can mean a lot of different things. But in the original language, in the Greek language, they had different words for love. And this is the word that you all know. So I'm not showing off any, any Greek prowess here. Everybody that's been in church for a long time knows the word agape. And so when we're talking about love in the scripture, on, in most cases, we're talking about agape love. That love that God demonstrates for us through the, the sacrifice of his son. The love that seeks the benefit of the other person the person being loved, the love that is holy and pure and strong and powerful. That's the kind of love that identifies who Gaius is. So you know the word agape. Do you know the word agapete? If you put a T-E on the end of agape, you get an adjective. And Gaius is described when it says the beloved Gaius. He's the agapete Gaius. It's a status. It's a, it's a position. You're not just Gaius. You're the beloved Gaius, the agapate Gaius. So it's this Gaius that John loves in truth that is the recipient of this letter. And in verse 2, 
John says, I pray, what? That all may go well with you. What does that mean? John explains, for all to go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That's pretty important. You see, back in biblical times at the end of the first century, they didn't have the medical care that we have today. They didn't have pain relievers. You couldn't go down to Walmart and get some Tylenol from the pharmacy section. You couldn't get much of anything. If you were sick or you were hurt, you just endured and hoped that you didn't die because death was an ever-present reality. Some say that the life expectancy of people in biblical times was roughly about half of what it is today. And death could come at any moment. And so when John says, I pray that it may be that you may be in good health, he meant, no, I want you to be in good health. And that would be a greeting that would be very much appreciated by anyone in that day and time. Now, there were healings, but they were rare. People would pray for God's healing, and often he demonstrated his healing power. But death and sickness and illness were realities in that day and time. And so he prays for your good health, and he, John prays for Gaius for it to go well with his soul. And the rest of this letter to Third John elaborates, it explains what that means. What does it mean for things to go well with our soul. And what we have are several principles for the in beginning in verse three. He talks about walking in truth, pursuing truth. And then down in verse five, loving sincerely and faithfully. In verse nine, we have an illustration about putting others before ourselves and respecting authority. In verse 11, we imitate evil. I'm sorry, we do not imitate evil, but we imitate good, not evil. And then finally, down in verse 15, with those friends, a well soul is a soul that's connected to the congregation of peace, the community of peace. So let's dive into that just a little bit more, if you will, please. In verse 3, I rejoice greatly when the brothers, there they are again, came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You see, a true believer, a follower of Jesus Christ keeps it real. We don't deal in this postmodern, oh, you can just choose whatever reality you want to. No, we understand that there is a reality. It's God's reality, and we don't get to make that up. Now, we have different understandings and different perceptions, but our goal is to view the world through the lens of God's word and to see the world as God sees it. That's the truth. We don't, we don't pretend. We don't puff ourselves up. We don't uh, try to get our, everyone's attention on us and make ourselves look like we're more than we are. We simply want to follow Jesus. We want to pursue his truth. And so anytime we're learning truth, whether it's learning how to repair an automobile or, or learning how to fix a sink or looking at some molecule through a microscope or reading a poem that's written by an inspired author of some kind. All truth is God's truth. But there is the truth 
that can only be known about God through the truth that he reveals to us and through the truth of his word. And John says, I have no, no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. They're pursuing the truth. They're keeping it real. In verse 5, we see that Demetrius didn't just say that he loved people. I'm sorry, not Demetrius, Gaius. Let me get this straight. Gaius didn't just talk about loving people, that he was faithful in doing things. And John raises the example of the brothers. The brothers were strangers. These brothers that were sent by John to the different churches, they were strangers to the churches to whom they went. And this was a day and age when taking care of strangers wasn't always a wise thing to do. It could be very dangerous. There were sayings. Their philosophers would say things like, you invite a stranger in your home, you're inviting trouble into your home. They'll mess your life up. But on the other hand, if you're traveling, like these brothers, there was no holiday inn to, to stay in, no eight days motel or whatever. The closest thing, or what they called inns back then, were often infested with rats and insects. And government spies would be there to pick up any conversation that they could. The innkeepers themselves might be thieves or con artists trying to milk you out of some of your money. And so John says, these brothers that I sent to you, we don't want them to be out there with the Gentiles, taking money from the Gentiles. But you, Gaius, you have brought them in. You have taken care of them. And in so doing, you have demonstrated, you have testified to your love before the church because you sent them on their way with everything that they needed. <clears throat> Verse 9, here's where Diotrephes shows up. I've written something to the church but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So already, whoever this Diotrephes is, he, he has two major problems, doesn't he? he? He's putting himself first. I mean, that's a basic thing that you don't do in Scripture. And he does not recognize the authority of John. John was a superstar. And imagine what it must have been in that day and time. You're walking down the streets of Smyrna, or maybe John goes on a visit and he shows up at your church, and everyone's saying, this is John. This is the one who walked with Jesus, and now he's here with us. Diotrephes would have none of that. Diotrephes didn't want anyone from the outside coming in and messing with his deal. Because John didn't recognize that authority. And it goes on to say that he would talk nonsense, wicked nonsense, deliberately trying to disparage, to run down, to say mean and ugly things about the men, the people that John sent. And, and not, not only that, there was more. He was not content with that. He refused to welcome the brothers. And then he put a stop to those who did want to welcome the brothers. So this man is piling up a, whole, a long list of things that he shouldn't be doing. That wasn't enough. And finally, it says, anyone who tried to help these missionaries, these evangelists from John, Diotrephes, would kick him out of the church. So this is a man with a, a problem, a power problem, a soul problem. He, he's trying to control things. And today we would call that a cult. But he's not willing to let any outside information or people bearing that information come into his congregation. But in contrast to Diotrephes, there's Demetrius the letter carrier. So John says in verse 11, do not imitate evil, but imitate 
good, because whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. And then John lifts up Demetrius as an example of good. This is a man who does good. He has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself, in other words, Demetrius was real. You can just tell by looking at him. Then John says, we had our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. By the way, you'll notice how many times true or truth shows up in this passage. So we're not making this up. John is not making this up. So you see the principles that we have so far to have a well soul, to, to, to be healthy in our soul. We need to be pursuing truth, loving faithfully. We need to put others first and respect authority. We need to imitate good and not evil. And then finally, in verse 15, peace be unto you. In the Bible, we know that the word peace is more than just the lack of violence. It's, the, it's more than just the lack of stress and anxiety in our lives. This word peace is, is, comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word shalom. This is the blessing and the prosperity of the soul. Now, be careful. There, there's this thing, perhaps you've heard of, it's called the prosperity gospel, which says, oh, you just believe in Jesus and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, that's kind of true, except for the whole cross thing, you know, where Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And, oh, yeah, you might be persecuted because they persecuted me. Oh, and you could die doing this. Okay, yeah. And give all your money away and, and love your enemies. Okay, yeah. There is a prosperity to the gospel. Life with Jesus is always better than life without Jesus. But it doesn't mean that everything will be what we think it ought to be in the world. Which brings us back to the John I was referring to earlier. The John who came to Washington back in 1998, left and then came back again in 1999, was down at this gazebo, ready to end his life on his own terms. Before he did, he remembered something that Andrew had said. Not the Andrew in the Bible, but the Andrew at Washington Baptist University, the one student who did not want John to leave. That Andrew challenged him, challenged John one time. He said, listen, do you have the strength and the courage to ask the question, is God real? Wow. Do you have the strength and the, and the courage to ask the question, is God real? So that night, down at the gazebo, <clears throat> John, through this Hail Mary pass, said, God, if you're out there, I need you. Something to that effect. And guess what happened? He encountered the living Lord Jesus and embraced the very Christianity that up until that morning, that moment, he had despised. Now that left him with the problem. Now what are you supposed to do? So he went back to Andrew, who happened to be his roommate at the time. You know what Andrew did? Andrew pulled out a Swedish Bible that he just happened to have under his bed. He'd been saving this for the occasion when John came to Jesus. You see, Andrew was a missionary kid. His folks were missionaries in sub-Saharan Africa. And 
John, uh, Andrew had all his family and his friends praying that someday John would become a believer. And there it was. And so discipleship began. Now, that Swedish Bible turned out to be kind of a really old translation. So that didn't work. But somehow uh, John began his growth in Christ. Andrew was there with him. And then there was that girl back in the party. Did I tell you her name was Candace? Okay, John and Candace fell in love and decided to get married. And John went to ask for her hand in marriage. He had a meeting with the father. Can you imagine what the father said? Okay, this is the John that was messing with his daughter during that party. Well, so the father answered, yes, I'll give you permission to marry my daughter, but I have to tell you a story first. Well, I was okay with John because he just heard the words he wanted to hear. There'd be plenty of time for stories. Tell me all the stories you want. <clears throat> well, the story was this, that the father was aware that John was the one who had been messing with his daughter at that party. And the father indicated that his first reaction was to seek John out and share with him how little he appreciated the way he treated his daughter. But instead, the father decided to do something else. The father decided to enlist a couple of senior ladies in his church. This was up in Harrison, Arkansas, to pray that John would become a believer. You see, John didn't have a chance, did he? He had the missionaries praying for him. He had Andrew praying for him. And everybody knows you get those senior ladies in the church praying for you. You might as well give up. Well, <clears throat> John and Candace were married. John went on to spend 20 years with Walmart here in the United States. And today, John is an adjunct professor in the business department at Washita Baptist University. And he's here today with his wife, Candace, that Candace. And his name is not really John. It's Johan Erickson. And he's with his kids, Amelia and Elias. And there they are. Would y'all just kind of wave your hand? Okay, there, right there. So in case you thought I was making this up, and by the way, I have never done that before. I've never told someone else's story when they were sitting in the in the audience listening to me. But uh, I had his permission to do that, and I worked with him to get some of the details down. You'll you'll want to 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 visit with this family later. But let me tell you this: why why did I use that illustration, Johann's life story, with this passage? Well, it's not just because they're both kind of John. By in the Greek, John is Johann as well. I thought that was just a coincidence. It just so happened that I heard Johann's testimony. He shared it with me at lunch one day while I was preparing this message, and the similarities were amazing. You see, and if I may say so, Johann, back there at the gazebo, he had a soul problem, didn't he? Things were not well with his soul, and we all can identify with that. Have you not been at a point in your life, at a low point in your life, where you just wondered, if this is the way the rest of my life is going to be, can I just check out now? And some of us experience that to more severe degrees than others. But now we know that we, as God's people, we have the answer, don't we? And it's all through Scripture, but here it is in John, the way the path to a healthy soul is to pursue truth. It's to love genuinely and sincerely. It's to put others first, to accept the authority of God's word in our lives, to imitate good and not evil. 
and to fellowship, to connect with community of peace. Maybe you know somebody. Maybe you are that, that somebody <clears throat> that is struggling with a, a soul that is not well. And we live in a world today, the CDC just came out not too long ago with uh, some research or report that says our teenagers are struggling. Now, we knew that 40% of teenagers in the United States are struggling with mental and emotional issues, with, with self-esteem. There was this horrific story coming out of New Jersey the other day. Some girl is walking down the hall in her school. She's a 14-year-old student, junior high student, and they beat her up in the hallway and film it on the phone and post it on the internet just to humiliate her. And she committed suicide a few days later. That's the kind of world that we live in. And we as a church don't always help, do we? Especially with, with young ladies. Sometimes we take the, the authority of Scripture too strong and we, we clamp down on ladies and, and tell them they can't speak or can't do anything. Just do everything your husband says and don't ask questions. And we're doing more harm than good. Sometimes what we call the purity culture, which is intended for good, you know, to save some things for marriage, that has turned into something that is proven harmful for people. These things should not be. So we need to tell our friends. And by the way, if you have a friend who's struggling in this way, don't try to be their counselor. It, they're more, more likely than not, they will need some professional help. Direct them to somebody who is a professional counselor who can give them some good, solid help. But tell them, to start here. The God who is the God of Andrew in the Bible and John and Gaius and Demetrius in the Bible, the God who is the God of Andrew, <clears throat> Johann's friend, and, and Johann and his family, our Lord, our Savior, can save absolutely anybody and this is why we need salvation because we're struggling with sin sick souls and so in just a moment we'll have a time of invitation and during this time of invitation we need to ask ourselves let me ask you may i ask you directly is it well with your soul what are you struggling with you're struggling with something we're all struggling with something what are you struggling with could it be that you need to start right here in 3 John and ask yourself, do I belong to the group of friends? Am I the agapate? Do I belong? Can I claim that title for myself? And the answer is, yes, you can. God loves you, but he wants you to follow him, to come to him. He's like that father that's longing for his son to return home. And he's saying, come back to me. He's calling to each and every one of us. He's saying, give your life to me and walk in the truth because there's joy there. There's wholeness there. There's, there's prosperity, the kind of prosperity that Jesus wants us to have. And so there's a commitment that we need to make. And the commitment, if you've never done this before, if you're you might be here today. You might be watching us on Facebook. You might be hearing us, hearing my voice on Spotify or something sometime during the future. That's something I need to talk to everybody about later. But if you're hearing my voice and you're struggling, let me just tell you, let me share with you. Come to Jesus. Give your life to him. Seek him. Get him into your heart and walk in truth. Can, are you willing to make these commitments with me? Commitment number one. 
I will pursue truth. Commitment number two, I will love sincerely. Commitment number three, I will put others above myself and I will respect the authority of God's word. Commitment five, I will imitate good. And commitment six, I will connect. I will be a part of the community of peace. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. There are some things that will keep us from doing that, aren't there? Instead of pursuing truth, we can pursue falsehood. We can pursue this mirage, these idols that are out there that Satan puts before us that leads us astray. We think that they're real, but in reality, they're not. And they will only leave us broken and sick to our very soul. We could say that we want to love truly and faithfully, but we can be false and inconsistent in our love for each other and our love for God. We can say that we put others first, but in reality, our human tendency is to put ourselves first. We like to put others first in a way that makes us look good. Have you ever noticed that? So that's a hard thing to do, harder than we realize sometimes. We say that we'll imitate good, but how many times have we imitated evil? and called it good. And then we say we want to be a part of the fellowship of peace. Friends. But who are our friends? These friends, now we need a wide range of friends, not just believing friends. We're out in this world, and the way we spread the gospel and spread this message is by having all kinds of friends. But we need a group of friends that belong to the community of peace, Friends that we can count on. Friends who have our back. Friends who worship and love the same Jesus that we do. So there are all kinds of things that will get us away from that. When we, we think, oh, our friends at church are boring. Why should I spend my Sunday morning singing hymns and listening to that boring preacher? Okay? Well, <clears throat> all kinds of things can derail us from making these commitments. But let's repeat those commitments again. In just a moment, I'll ask you to stand. And as we're singing, I'll ask you to, to just you and Jesus, that, that just tune out everyone else in the room. Let it be just you and Jesus going over these. I want to pursue, pursue truth and not falsehood. You ready to make that commitment? I want to love faithfully, not unfaithfully. I want to put others first, not myself first. I want to recognize God's authority, not my own authority. I want to imitate good, not evil. I want to be part of the fellowship of peace.